Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. I don't have no scary intro this week. <laughs> oh, nah. oh, Mickey, what a pity. You don't understand. <laughs> Was that the 82? Uh, <laughs> no, let's not do that. Welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Eric Camaro. That's Chris Sinzak. And as you know, we're back for 1982 Year in Review Part 2. And I hope you guys enjoyed last week. Judging by the big old list of geeks of the week that I'm seeing, you guys dug it. Yeah, I got, uh, I've got. i got a few names to read off this week. Yeah. We? we like doing the year in review shows because they're one of our more received ideas that we mm-hmm. like to do every once in a while. But like you say, the flip side of that is... The amount of research that goes into something yeah. like this is pretty much insane. I just finished, literally finished my notes and was like, yes, three minutes to spare. I, I finished mine about three hours ago. Yeah. So, you know, and I didn't, it's like, I, and I was even telling my wife driving home, I was like, well, I actually have all my notes ready for the year in review episode. And she's like, so? And I'm like, that never happens. Right. <laughs> I'm usually lacking in one department at least. You don't understand. I actually did it this time. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I guess before we get into the rock and roll and into 1982 Part 2, which, like you were saying before we started recording, Mm -hmm. as good as the music was in Part 1 of 1982, 
we're really kicking into it in part two. So you guys stay tuned for that. The only way I want to start off a Decibel Geek podcast, you guys know it. It's a five-star iTunes review. And looky, looky, I got one right here. And it's a good one right there. One, two, three, four, five. That meets my criteria. It's in iTunes. It comes to us from Loco Benno in Australia. Nice. All the way across the globe. And it goes a little something like this. It was the skid row track by track that drew me in. But having explored the rest of the catalog, I'm here to say that if you're into what they're into, then you can't go wrong with this cast. Loved the YNT retrospective and can't thank them thank them enough for introducing me to Rush's counterparts. And what a top bloke Mick Wagner Mick Wagner is. Mick Wagner. Mick Wagner. <laughs> Mike Wagner. Michael Wagner. It says Mick. That's what the review said. <laughs> well, he's Australian, so of course it's Mick Wagner, right? That makes sense. Yeah. I can't read it because I'm an American. Right. I can't read Australian. Jeez. I'm trying, though. Keep on keeping on, fellas, and I'll keep digging it for sure. And like I said, that comes to us from Local Benno all the way in Australia. Five stars just the way we like it. Yeah. And I love that the title of it is Cracking Podcast. I love that that's a, an across-the-pond term that we should use more in America. It's cracking. Cracking good time. I've heard that from a few of our European listeners and Australian listeners. They'll see here, but that's the other thing, too. In the United States, say, what are you doing? We're cracking. People assume you're going to smoke some crack. Well, we do that we also. We don't want people to know that. <laughs> <laughs> this is 1982 for sure now. Right. But, uh, no, yeah, that's an awesome five-star five review please uh if you haven't le left an itunes review and there's a lot of you compared to who how many listen to this show so you know take the time to do that it raises our uh profile on itunes it sure does you know and it keeps me happy and keeps the tears from my eyes yeah if i had to go to australia to get this one so get, <laughs> get on it guys come on america <laughs> i have to bring kleenex next week Oh, no. Is it getting that low again? Uh, oh, no. All right. So we got Geeks of the Week. If you share it on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter last week's part one, I will read your name now. And if you like this episode, do the same, and I'll read it next week on uh, To Be Determined episode. Geeks of the Week this week are Cobras and Fire podcast, Joe Royal and Sit and Spin with Joe, Josh Toomey from Talk To Me podcast, Joseph Capone, Cal Hens, Brad Schick, Derek Labor, Brian Knapp, Jason Seth. Trevor McDougall, Rob Webb, Cool World, James Brennan Dunn, Eric Moore, Anthony Britt, Ben Mitchell, Mike Blunt, Shane Bear, Chad Pollock, Andrew Jacobs, Kevin Williams, Mark Hatley, Sean Hargett, Wally Norton from the CGCM podcast, The Riff of the Day, Gino Ames, Greg McGlone, Robin Bennett, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Alex Ferenc, Rob Harris, Brad Kalmanson, Wayne Cross, Derek Novak, Brant Cattell, Mike Blunt, Adam Cox, Mikhail Burrell, Otto Erlen Gregerson, Hoops, The Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark Alton-Taylor, Warren Money, Paul Korn, Mike Grabowski, Aaron Baker, Darren Park, and Joe Becht, James McElhenney, Stephen Atchison, Digital Killed, The Radio Star, Darren Hellowell, Eric Moore, The Saturday Night Jam Session Podcast, Christopher Stokes, Rick Friel, Ernesto Aguiar, MDG Rock Photography, Jeffrey Mendenhall, 30.1 Zeta Bytes. That's the same as 1.21 gigawatts. Uh, Pat Catalano, Daniel Lee, The Rock and Donkey, and The Mooger Fooger. All right. Those are our people, our geeks of the week. They get out there and they help us spread the word every single week telling the people in the streets what the Decibel Geek Podcast is all about. And what we're all about today is going back in time one more time to 1982. We've got the whole second part of the year laid out in front of us, and we are ready to rock. And if I understand... We're in for a treat today because you have additional facts. I do. From 1982. I've got more facts for you. 
The new car average price in 1982, $7,983. That's not bad. That's almost, that's a little more than what I just paid for my new used car. Your new used car. Mm-hmm. All right. A U.S. postage stamp was 20 cents. It wasn't all cheaper. A 19-inch Sony Color TV was $499. Wow. See, that's different. Yeah, you can get a flat screen for cheaper than that and bigger. And uh, just as important as the price of bacon, a bag of cheese puffs cost 89 cents. 89 cents. What are Cheetos nowadays like for a big bag? Like five bucks? No, no they're not five bucks. At least three. Three or four. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Lame-o. Yep. But Got to uh, bring it back to 82 prices. Yep. There's some more facts for you. So we are doing the second half of the year, and we're starting in July. Okay. I guess uh, the first news story of the year is... Uh, I kind of remember this, barely. Now, reading it, it, it jogs something in my memory. It's uh, the story about Larry Winters, and he used a lawn chair and 42 helium balloons to fly away. That's real intelligent. Do you know about this? I think I kind of remember that. I think I remember seeing footage of him or something on yeah. the news when I was a kid. But 16,000 feet, 16, baby. Feet. I don't know what happened. Did he live? I have no idea. I'm not sure. You put the fact in there. I know, and that's all I, that's all I had. I didn't want to dig any further that i was working on my song notes yeah i hear you but no i i don't know i mean that was like that was one of those things that would show up on the remember the shows uh like that's incredible yeah and real that's 82 pe- real people yeah. yeah those two shows uh you know i think both hosted by john davidson probably uh but yeah that sounds like something that would have been on one of those shows but yeah 1982 you had no internet so you strapped helium <laughs> to a launcher and went up in the air <laughs> that's entertainment in 82 yeah uh, okay, so let's go ahead and get into some music, and uh, you're going to hear some of your favorite bands on this, because a lot of our favorite bands released music in 1982, but you're also going to hear some uh, lesser-known stuff, and I want to start off with something a little bit lesser-known today. In 1982, on July 3rd, Demon, a band formed in Leek, Staffordshire, England, released The Unexpected Guest. You ever heard of Demon? No, I don't know about Demon. They're considered an important band from the new wave of British heavy metal movement. They were signed by Mike Stone's Clay Records in 1980 and licensed to Carrera Records to join their stable of metal. I know Carrera Records did just about all of them at that time. Yeah. Their debut album, Night of the Demon, was released in 1981. And in 1983, they shifted to a more proggy direction with an album called The Plague. And in some form, they still perform today. The 1982 album, The Unexpected Guest, however, has some great rock meets metal meets punk sounds, including Don't Break the Circle.
Monument still lives on in some sort, certain form. I listened to some of the stuff from 83 on, and it's much different than that. Yeah. The depth of really good bands from the Britain area in the early 80s, it's just staggering. It really is. I mean, the new wave of British heavy metal truly rules in 1982, no doubt about it. Even the lesser-known stuff you would that you would think, oh, it, it's not going to measure up to Maiden and Priest and stuff, it's just as good. Yeah, there's totally. There's great stuff all around there. Heck, yeah. On July 4th, Ozzy Osbourne, he's back in the news this time for something nice. Finally, something good happening to Ozzy Osbourne as he marries Sharon in Maui, Hawaii, back in 1982. Something nice. Sharon! The Prince of Darkness marrying Satan himself is is, is a nice story. (laughs) Satan herself. (laughs) Sorry, Sharon. That's funny. But no, I mean, happier times for Ozzy and Sharon back then. And, you know, you you gotta love Sharon because without Sharon, there wouldn't be no Ozzy. And without Ozzy, what would we have? All right, here's one for you. If you're going to talk about the new wave of British heavy metal, you've got to talk about Judas Priest. And in 1982, it's time for Judas Priest's eighth studio album and a follow-up to the previous year's Point of Entry. This one's recorded in Spain with producer Tom Allum, and uh, it's five months of hard work and also hard partying to create this one. Of course, you got that classic lineup of Rob Helford, K.K. Downing, Glenn Tipton, Ian Hill, and making his second album appearance in a row, drummer Dave Holland. It's considered to be their breakthrough album, especially here in the United States, off the power of the single, You Got Another Thing Coming. Have you heard that song before? Once or twice. Once or twice. That song was actually a kind of a last-minute addition onto the album. They weren't going to mm-hmm. include it, and then it ends up being the biggest hit. That's weird how that works sometimes. Um, other singles include awesome songs like Take These Chains and Hellion Electric Eye, and stellar deeper cuts include songs like Fever, Devil's Child, Riding on the Wind, and Bloodstone. is a result of the band wanting to get back to basic, straightforward, hard rock. It goes to number 11 in the UK, number 17 in the US. It's got that iconic album cover, The Hellion, The Big Robot Bird. Oh, yeah. Love it. And uh, after the release of Scream for Vengeance, Judas Priest embarks on their massive World Vengeance tour. That whole uh, Screaming for Vengeance going into uh, Defenders of the Faith, I 
that, that, what, that's a golden era for that. Yeah, band. yeah. They turned it around from Point of Entry. I was listening to Point of Entry. I love Point of Entry. It's it's a damn good album, but man, Screaming for Vengeance just got well, it's got a harder edge to it. It's almost you can almost look at it kind of like a fluctuation wave because you go you've got like uh, Killing Machine or Hellbent for Love, depending on what country you're in, right? Which is pretty pretty metal, and you know they're getting harder with that one from Stained Class going into that, and then you go into the live album, but then you go into British Steel, which is them kind of getting a little more radio friendly because right. like you would never would have heard Living After Midnight on Sad Wings of Destiny. No, but in my opinion, I love British Steel, but I think it's a little overrated. Like a lot of people put that as their high water mark. I don't. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Point of Entry, which I love, but it, it's even mo- a little more commercial. Right. Attempting. It's kind of. It's a little. I think it's a little more experimental yeah where screaming for vengeance Scream, comes back it's more with of a, a vengeance we're just going to be a metal band yeah and it totally yeah. works and you know it's cool because you think 1982 the birth of the new wave of british heavy metal and it's led in with the rebirth of iron maiden yeah and basically the introduction to the entire world of judas priest and you got to think those are if you're talking new wave of british heavy metal those are the two bands oh yeah that, that spearhead that totally they're your beatles and stones totally yeah. absolutely Definitely. And then uh, for some American rock in 1982, on July 23rd, Billy Squire's Emotions and Motion album came out. That's metal. Yeah. <laughs> this is his uh, third studio album, second top five on the Billboard chart, released on Capitol Records. Everybody Wants You was a giant hit off this album. Everyone yeah, knows that song. That's a good song. Billy Squire was on a pretty good roll at this time. It was certified gold in September and then platinum in October. So people were really buying his albums up. The cover art was created for Billy Squire by Andy Warhol. And uh, Queen lead singer Freddie Mercury and drummer Roger Taylor sang background on the title track. Wow. Like its predecessor, the album was produced by Squire with Reinhold Mack, who had produced Queen's The Game. felt the negative wrath of MTV more than this guy. Oh, man. Anyone that saw the Rock Me Tonight video can attest to that. It's his own fault. Why would you do that? Why would you prance around like that on TV? Maybe it was the director that that, uh, is to blame. I don't know. Yeah, but he could have said, I'm not doing that. Just let me take my guitar, stand up on the stage, and rock out. See that Iron Maiden video? I want something more like that. Or Billy should have told the director, um... I saw Michael Jackson's Beat It and, and Billie Jean videos. I'm not him. I'm not him. I'm not doing I'm it. I'm not that guy. But this album, sold, Emotions Emotions, sold a ton. And uh, surprisingly, it's actually out of print now. But you can really? purchase a copy through our Decibel Geek Amazon link. Yeah, you sure can. You can find anything through our Amazon link. 
you know, I had to bring up the Braves last week on the, their 1982 winning streak that started out. Um, but this is another Braves article I got to put in. On July 30th, the Braves removed Chief Nakahoma to make room for more seats. Now, do you know the story about Chief Nakahoma? No, I don't even know what that is. Chief Nakahoma was a very non-PC uh, mascot that the Braves had because the Braves are Braves are Indians, right? Like, yeah, basically, Native Americans. Yeah, he was an he was an Indian that wore the wore the headdress and the make the makeup and uh, was this a guy dressed yes. like that? Okay, yeah, a real a real Indian too. And they built a teepee out in the out in the outfield for him because the late seventies and it started in like nineteen sixty nine and all through the seventies and early eighties the Braves were awful so there was a lot of room in that outfield to take away some seats and put a build a teepee out there and my earliest memories of the Braves I remember going to games and he was out there yeah and it was a bit and also before the games he would do a rain dance on the pitcher's mound to try to bless the mound for the game wow like it was really it was straight up stereotypes no wonder they were cursed well so well, th- listen to this though so on july 30th they take the tp out to make room for more seats because they had that big winning streak and they're like we we can make money off those seats yeah they take it out the braves go on to lose their next 19 of 21 games oh wow they went on a losing streak no, no rain some dance. Pe- some people thought Chief Nakahoma cursed the team, and after that losing streak, uh, they put the TP back. Yeah, yeah, they didn't, and they ended up winning the division. Wow! But uh, I think it was it was about a <laughs> year a or two later. Story. About a year or two later, they they removed Chief Nakahoma. Now there's there's debate about what was the reason for it. Now he says, you know, they they gave in to Native American rights groups and stuff. Yeah. From what I heard, though, he was a bit of a drunk and, and drank on the job quite a bit. And they were like, we can't. This isn't good for us. Just out in his teepee getting hammered all but afternoon. But that's just the Wild West type thing of the early 80s sure. with sports. You know, you, you'd you never have something like that happen today. No, never, never. <laughs> but I remember good old Chief Nakahoma. Wow. All right, let's talk about a band here. This is a good one. How about the 10th studio album from Nova Scotia hard rockers, April Wine? It's a follow-up to their most popular album, Nature of the Beast. They have seen the mountaintops of international success, and they're on their way back down. These poor guys, they just don't realize it yet. Although they remain massively popular in their homeland, where they score hit singles with Enough is Enough, Anything You Want, You Got, and the clever If You See K. If you remember these songs... Well, then you're definitely a Canadian. <laughs> no one can say the crime doesn't pay.
It also features great deep cuts like Blood Money, Doing It Right, and Runners in the Night. And the album cover features a kid playing an April Wine Power Play arcade game. 1982. I thought April Wine was one of the most unfortunately named bands. Because it sounds like something sounds like a Toto type band. Yeah, it kind of does. Sounds like some Saturday afternoon AM Gold. AM Gold with April Wine. It like it totally fits. Yeah, it does. But I can't figure Judas Priest on tour with April Wine. <laughs> April Wine. Yeah, it is kind of a wussy sounding name, but they're a great band. Oh, they are great. Underrated band. totally. All right, well, that brings us up to August then, and uh, here's a cool one. This this makes me reflect on our massive Decibel Geek library in here of music as the very first CDs are produced in Germany in wow. 1982. That far back. Yeah, it would take quite a while for it to get to catch on to where everybody was buying them, you mm-hmm. know, for their main music delivery system, but the very first ones, 1982. I don't know. It's hard to believe CDs go back that far, although I don't think I bought my first one until... Sometime in the 90s, maybe. or 90. Yeah, it had yeah. to been around 90. Okay, so um, August 25th, Alice Cooper releases Zipper Catches Skin. And this is a this is a strange album. His most popular album of all time. In an alternate universe, sure. Produced by Eric Scott, which was his bass player. And uh, there's a, our friends from out of nowhere, did a, they came out of retirement to do like a one-time interview with Eric Scott. And they talked a lot about this era of, the, of Alice. That's awesome. It's got Alice's blackout period, you know, Special Forces, Zipper, and then Dada. We like three. that stuff. Oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, it was the 14th studio album. And uh, despite its first single, I Am the Future, being featured in the film Class of 1984. Have you seen that movie? I don't think so. It's a definite B movie. I Am the Future is the theme song for the movie. It's played at the beginning. I watched it like three months ago, and it's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> um, and the waitress is Patty Donahue appears on uh, the other hit, the other single, I Like Girls. Uh, but the album failed to chart in most countries, including in the U.S., where it became Cooper's first album to not dent the Billboard 200 since Easy Action. That's a big fall for Alice. Yeah. Dick Wagner, rest in peace, our good friend, who uh, left halfway through the recording sessions, described the album as the off-to-the-races speedy album and a drug-induced nightmare. Yeah. You know, it's it's got to be bad for Dick Wagner to say, okay, that's enough. Yeah. I, I got to go. You know, this is too much for even me. And he, uh, he later revealed in a segment of the deleted scenes from the 2014 documentary uh, Super Duper Alice Cooper that Alice was smoking crack cocaine at the time and had a curtain set up behind the mic and with a stool on it where he kept his crack pipe. And he and the other members of the band would sneak behind the curtain and take hits between recording takes. Wow. A pretty, pretty messed up era for Alice. And uh, some of his most quirky lyrics, including song titles such as No Baloney Homo Sapiens mm. and I'm Alive, That Was the Day My Pet Returned to Save My Life. But I'm uh, particularly partial to Adaptable Anything for You.
events at the Cow Palace for two nights, September 14th and 15th. Plan to be just a whalen with Van Halen. Van Halen. That's two nights, September 14th and 15th, 8 p.m. at the Cow Palace for Van Halen. You know what's new? Diet Coke! And you're gonna drink it just for the taste of it. Introducing Diet Coke. You're gonna drink it just for the taste of it. Living good with Diet Coke. This is the one from Coca-Cola. Drink all the taste with just one calorie. Just for the taste of it. Just for the taste of it. Tri-Staters say goodbye to MASH. The story at 11. Coming back from more Decibel Geek with you in the 1982 year in review. And time to take a look right now at television of 1982. And some of the bigger events to happen in TV was the debut of the Weather Channel here in the United States. My father-in-law's favorite channel. Yeah? Yeah. Watches it all day long? Pretty much. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> Has it changed yet? Has it changed yet? He loves the music, he says. Wow. <laughs> Big into smooth jazz. I guess so. Holy yeah, shit. He's an interesting guy. ESPN broadcasts its very first live college football game, the Independence Bowl, where the Wisconsin Badgers beat Kansas State. That beats Australian rules football. Yeah. Oh, God. ESPN, it was all Australian rules football. Oh, yeah, totally. And monster truck pulls. That's right. That's <laughs> right. At first, that's all it was in AWA wrestling. Oh, yeah. That was the yeah. good thing. Also in 1982, Brian Gumble begins as a host of NBC's Today Show. Mm -hmm. That's a gig he'll hold on to for 15 years. Here's something that doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. The TV show Taxi, which is on ABC and super popular, ends up jumping to NBC. That's strange. Yeah. You never see that. No. Also in 1982 on Saturday Night Live, I mean, this is, 82 <laughs> is the year of Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live. Yes. And he debuts his awesome, awesome popular characters, Buttweed and Gumby. Gumby, damn it. Gumby, damn it. <laughs> awesome. And also in 1982, this, see, this I remember. Yeah, this I don't too. think I'll ever forget. In 1982, John Schneider and Tom Wopat quit the Dukes of Hazard. Bo and Luke are written off the show and replaced by another pair of cousins. Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer. I'm oh, sorry. Coy and Vance. Mm -hmm. That was those were some crazy times. Dress the same too. Dress the same. <laughs> one's got dark hair, the other one's got blonde hair. Yes. And the shows were awful. And the shows were awful. Oh. What were Bo and Luke doing? What, they were in NASCAR or something? I don't know, but I don't remember what the story was for writing them off the show, but it was lame. Well, whatever it was, <laughs> Bo and Luke are back before the end of the season. Yeah. The, it uh, doesn't last long who, at all. The creators of Dukes of Hazard are idiots to think that was going to work. Right. You know, just give them the money <laughs> because, them. yeah, you can't just do that like that. I mean, I remember being a young kid and being like, 
what the hell is going on here? This oh, sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember it very clearly. This one I didn't know about until we started doing the research on this. This is a pretty crazy story. In order to prevent World War III, a guy named Joseph Billy Gwynn forces his way into the studios of a Phoenix CBS affiliate TV station, fires a gunshot, takes four people hostage, holding one of them, the cameraman, at close gunpoint. He demands national broadcasting time. Three hours later, Gwyn releases two hostages, and at 9.30, with Gwyn sitting next to him with the gun, the TV anchor Bill Close reads a 20-minute statement. When finished, Close takes Gwyn's gun and sets it on the table. Gwyn's arrested. Wow. I haven't, I've been meaning to, but I've been so wrapped up in the homework of this, I really want to go on YouTube and see if that's on there. I wonder if it is. I don't even remember this. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Taking a TV station hostage, hijacking it, and getting yourself on national television to read a 20-minute statement. Yeah, I wonder what's in the statement. That's the thing. Somebody, we got to check that out. I guess we'll all be learning about that one If you were around in 82 and you remember this, let us, email us or message us, because I'd like to hear from people that remember that. That's cool. We can maybe record some of that for VIP. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Somebody call us and tell us that story. Top rated United States TV shows of 1982. Number one, 60 Minutes. That's still on the air, too. Yeah, that was my granddad's favorite show. He always never missed 60 Minutes. Sunday nights after the game yeah number two was dallas i mean that was huge back in the early 80s number three was mash mash was still around and going strong i mean it's number three of 82 number four we talked about his band in episode one yeah. magnum pi awesome chase the dragon album that was great <laughs> uh number five of 1982 dynasty yeah prime time soap opera my mom loved it number six three's company that's still going strong number seven simon and simon remember that yeah. the two brothers that was a good show i like that i like to look up some of these old shows and check them out a lot of buddy cop stuff back then yeah totally uh number eight another primetime soap opera falcon crest yep which was better dynasty or falcon crest they were both boring as shit to me (laughs) remember my mom watched both of them i hated those shows uh show i liked was the love boat yeah everybody liked that show and what's not to love about number 10 the a-team loved it every tuesday a-team heck yeah yep other top TV shows in 1982, Monday Night Football, The Jeffersons, Newhart, The Fall Guy. Yeah. That was awesome. I, I like The Fall Guy. Heather Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one Day at a Time, Trapper John M.D. That was another one the the olders would watch, and I'd be like, what is this? <laughs> Hill Street Blues. Yep. That's incredible. You mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, still Hanging On is Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, and Dukes of Hazard. And another one of my grandparents' favorite shows, Archie Bunker's Place. That was the spinoff of All in the Family. Yeah. I do remember Archie Bunker pretty clearly, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I took an eighth grade trip. This is way off topic. I took an eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C. For, for school, and we went to the Smithsonian Institute, and they had they were doing like a television cult, pop culture yeah. exhibit, and Archie Bunker's chair was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I got to see his chair. Talking about how different things were in 82, you could not have a TV show like All in the Family or Archie Bunker's no. Place nowadays. No. Yeah. I mean, go back. If you don't know what that is, if you don't know about Archie Bunker... Go on the YouTube and go back and look at some of that. Yeah, and Aaron Baker, we're talking to you. Yeah, youngster. if you, uh, <laughs> or if you're easily offended, don't. Yeah, don't watch it if you're easily offended. But uh, no, you and you couldn't. You couldn't have. Uh, I was just talking to my wife the other day. You couldn't have married with children on TV now either. No, I guess you couldn't. Yeah, it's just too risque. Not PC enough. Yeah, that's too bad. 
Um, TV debuts in 1982. We mentioned this in part one, Late Night with David Letterman. Mm-hmm. Also debuting in 82 at the movies with Siskel and Ebert. Yep. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, Cheers debuts in 1982. Awesome. Love Cheers. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Elsewhere, Cagney and Lacey, Remington Steele, TJ Hooker. The Gary Coleman Show. I don't remember the Gary Coleman I don't remember the Gary Coleman Show I was a Gary Coleman fan, though. I was a Yeah? Uh, Knight Rider. Yeah, I Knight Rider was awesome. This one, I don't remember this. Gilligan's Planet. I don't remember that either. What the heck is Gilligan's Planet? Gilligan in space? Sounds like it. (laughs) Um, Also in 82, debuting, was Family Ties. Mm -hmm. That one I remember. Silver Spoons. I remember that. that show. Uh, Joni Loves Chachi. Yeah, music written by Vincent Cusano. Yeah, that's right. Oh, there's your first Vinnie Vincent tie-in. Mork and Mindy. Laverne yeah. and Shirley and the Fonz cartoon. Yeah, I remember all of those. Saturday morning cartoon all combined. The Pac-Man cartoon. I remember Because you got to remember that's huge in 82. Mm-hmm. Huge enough for him to get his own cartoon. And the Incredible Hulk cartoon yep. debuts in 82, which is weird because you get those cartoons debuting. But in the meantime, the live action Incredible Hulk TV show is canceled. Yeah. And the live action Mark and Mindy is canceled. That's true. Weird. Yeah, I remember Saturday mornings were, oh, they were so exciting. Yeah, to be a kid. I said that to my wife the other day. Don't they have cartoons on Saturday mornings anymore? Uh, they really don't. I don't think so. That's a thing of the past. That's yeah. really strange. Also canceled 1982, Bosom Buddies. Yeah, Tom Hanks. WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's sad. I love that show. Me too. And uh, here's a kiss connection for you. Late Night with Tom Snyder. Yep. All canceled, 1982. Goodbye. The big TV movies of 1982, The Blue and the Gray, the big mm-hmm. Civil War thing. I remember that being a big deal. And The Elephant Man. Yep. Who could forget that? Uh, freakish. I remember that. Freakishly awesome. Oh, man. So we're into August now. Yep. Into August and back into the rock and roll. Now, in the mid-70s, Aerosmith ruled the world. But by the time the 80s rolled around, they pretty much rotted from the insides. Implosion of one of the world's greatest bands. Joe Perry left the band partway through recording Night in the Ruts in 79. That's three years ago now. And it's common knowledge that the alcohol and hard drug issues that made it impossible for Perry to be in the band anymore, all that pretty much continued after he left. You know, the partying didn't stop. Like the time in 1980 when Steven Tyler crashed his motorcycle and busted himself up real good. Or maybe the time when he passed out on stage in Maine and just laid there for the rest of the show. Just laid there, taking a nap. (laughs) So in 1981, they get their shit together just enough, just enough to go back into the studio. And Jack Douglas is even back to produce it. One song into the recording, one song Brad Whitford quits yeah. and immediately forms Whitford St. Holmes. Thank God for that. This leaves all the remaining guitar work on Jimmy Crespo. Mm-hmm. Whew, this poor guy. Can you imagine? It's, it's his debut album with Aerosmith. They're one of the most popular bands in the entire world. <laughs> and first he's thinking, well, at least I got Brad here. <laughs> right. You're, re- you're replacing their guitarist who's like beloved and respected. And, you know, he's such an integral part of the sound and the songwriting. Right. And then, like you say, on top of that, then Whitford leaves. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> on top of that, Steven Tyler is an insane drug-addled wreck of a human being. Oh, yeah. That's his low point. Man. Sure. 
But Crespo manages to help Steven Tyler write six songs for what would become Rock in a Hard Place. I wonder if Jimmy come up with that name based on his current circumstance. I'm sure that's how he felt. Jeez, stuck right in the middle of something. In this album, it's weird, you know, definitely for Aerosmith fans. If if Steven Tyler wasn't such a distinct and distinguished vocalist, you'd never know this was an Aerosmith album. Based on the music alone, take take Steven Tyler's vocal track out. Yeah, I guess. And say name that's this band. It's a great album, though. It is a great album, full of some really great rockin' tunes, like the only song to feature Brad Whitford, Lightning Strikes. Crespo featuring Steven Tyler and most of Aerosmith. Right. Yeah. What a complete uh, mess of a band at the time. Or it could have been, you know, this almost could have been a Steven Tyler solo album. It's that much different. I mean, it, I do love it. Though. It's, it's his vocals are what ties it in to be Aerosmith. Yeah. But without that, this isn't really an Aerosmith album. It's a great rock and album by a really good band, but I just. You know, it's it's Steven Tyler that he's the only thing that really makes this and the stamp on the cover that actually says Aerosmith on it. It's weird though that like two of my favorite albums in their catalog are Night in the Ruts where they were a mess and then this one yeah. a mess. Although Done with Mirrors I'm not crazy about. See, and I like Done with Mirrors. Yeah, it's okay. You know, you got to give that guy Jimmy Crespo a lot of credit for pushing past all them obstacles and helping a struggling band create some pretty great rock music. As evident on Rock in a Hard Place, he's also one hell of a guitar player. Uh, it ends up going to number 32 on the U.S. album charts, which is quite a drop-off from what their previous album had done, and it's the continuation of a steady decline that's going to continue on for Aerosmith for, oh, I don't know, maybe another five years. It's really remarkable how they came back from all that, because I mean, any, if you had asked anyone in 1982, what do you think about Aerosmith's future? They'd just laugh and say, what future? Is Aerosmith still around? Yeah, are the, they still are still, they put an album out? I didn't know that. There's a lot of bands like that in 82. A lot yep. of the, the big, huge well, bands of the 70s. Well, I said the same thing about it. Nazareth last week. Yeah, Had exactly. no idea they put an album out that year. Okay, so um, Michael Schenker Group put out their third studio album in 1982. On August 27th, Assault Attack is released. This is the only album to feature former Rainbow vocalist Graham Bonnet on vocals. The album was recorded in France at the Chateau de Huroville and was produced by Martin Birch, who was hot on the heels of working with Maiden for Number of the Beasts. I personally prefer the first album with Gary Barden on vocals, but Bonnet does a good job on this album. David Coverdale was almost the replacement for Barden. Oh, wow. It was uh, suggested by drummer Cozy Powell and manager Peter Minch, who is still Metallica's manager to this day. Shaker wanted Bonnet, and he fired Peter Minch. And then Powell and Paul Raymond left the band on their own. The album features some great tracks, including the title track, Samurai, and Desert Song.
March of 2017, this year, a DVD of Schinkerfest, a concert filmed in Tokyo featuring all three MSG vocalists, Barden, Bonnet, and Robin McCauley, was released on CD, DVD, and Blu-ray. Wow, that sounds awesome. It does. I'm buying it hopefully soon. I saw the trailer for it. It looks amazing. It That's just came cool. out like a month ago, I think. And it's weird to think in 82 that was Schenker's third studio album. Yeah. That guy was so young when he started. I, and I, like I said, I prefer the first one. Just, it was just called Michael Schenker Group with Gary Barden on vocals. And I was listening to that on the way over here to record it. And I just, it it's a fucking great album. And yeah. It does not get nearly the uh, the praise it's due. But, you know, this one with Bonnet is good. The Assault Attack album. There's some I good like stuff Grand on Bonnet. it, too. But, yeah, it's, uh, man... Can't get in, can't go wrong with some Michael Schenker from that era. No, it seems like in '82, as far as rock goes, you got like two different groups going on here. You got like the the bands from England, just in Europe in general, really. Right. Um, Scorpions and Maiden and Priest and even Demon, you know, and bands like that. You yeah. know, you got so much coming, and then you've got the other bands that are, you know, kind of hanging on, trying to hang on to something. And here's another band, kind of like we're seeing a lot of this, like Status Quo. They're highly revered in Europe, but virtually unknown in the U.S. And I'm talking about the Tigers of Pantang. Yeah. In 1982, they released their fourth studio album, The Cage. This is their most popular album to date, which is pretty remarkable considering they just lost John Sykes two songs into the recording process. That dude loves to jump from band to band. Yeah, he does. Sykes would leave the band to take a huge gamble on himself by auditioning to replace the recently passed Randy Rhodes, but Ozzy would pass on him. Then he auditions for the recently solo Ronnie James Dio. But Dio, as we all know, opts to go with Vivian Campbell. But Sykes would eventually land a pretty sweet gig as the replacement for Snowy White in Thin Lizzy. Yep. This album, regardless, you don't have Sykes, but it goes to number 13 on the UK album charts. And uh, it's got songs like Rendezvous and a cover of Love Potion number 9 that both chart as singles. And there's some really great deep cuts on this album, too, like one called Lonely at the Top. <laughs> number nine was such a big hit in Europe that the big shots at MCA UK demanded that they become a cover band. Isn't that crazy? Really? Like, we're going to take you 
Tigers of Pantang, who are already an established band, and because you've had a big hit single with this cover, we want you to do more, maybe all covers. Become a cover band. That's great, right? No, the Tigers say, no, that's not cool. We're not going to do that. So when they refuse, the label pulls all their backing. The Tigers would aggressively attempt to get their contract bought out by another company, but MCA jacks the rates so high on them that no one else can even afford to think about signing this band. Wow. So it's kind of like, we don't want them, but we don't want you to have them either. It puts the band in a horrible spot. The Tigers of Pantang are screwed, so they break up. Yeah. And that's the end of them for a little bit. Well, they're back together now. Yeah, I mean, and they're, they're, they're putting out amazing music. Yeah, the newest album's amazing. I love yeah. it. Yeah, so if you are in Europe and you get a chance to see these guys because you don't think of us here in the States, we don't. Yeah, we don't. So go see them if you get the chance. Cool. So, uh, you know, we're talking about the meeting point between old and new with uh, music this year in 82. Uh, another interesting project from 82 was Hughes and Thrall. Yeah. And... Formed that year by former Deep Purple and Trapeze bassist vocalist Glenn Hughes and guitarist journeyman Pat Thrall, who had worked with Auto Man and Pat Travers. Yep. It was released on a short-lived subsidiary of Epic called Boulevard Records. The album had little marketing behind it, and it received a lot of critical acclaim, but it failed to make a big impression with the music-buying public, and it saw disappointing sales. That didn't stop it from having a lot of really cool songs on it, including Muscle and Blood. blame some of the obscurity on the fact that both he and Thrall were suffering from drug addictions at the time and couldn't support the album with a proper tour. They were so zonked out that they couldn't even go on the road. They could sure create an awesome album. Yeah. Though. It's really good. And that album, uh, if you like the production, there's a reason for that. It's produced by Andy Johns, who worked with Led Zeppelin. And, yeah. Uh, also, some of the drumming on this album is provided by Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Oh, nice. And uh, my Rick Fox interview for that Steeler al- Albums Unleashed tells a story about meeting Pat Thrall around that time. He was a big fan of his. That was a cool story, man. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a that's an interest. That's got a bit of an oddity album because, you know, Glenn Hughes has certainly come back with a vengeance over the years. But, yeah, the early 80s were not the greatest period for him personally. I highly, highly recommend that album. It's really good, the whole thing. Yeah. All right, I guess we'll keep it rocking here. Wishbone Ash. Yeah, you know about them. They're another good example of a band struggling to hold their place in line in 1982. Not that they were ever really huge to begin with, because they are one of the most underrated bands of all time, but their fans are some of the most loyal you'll ever find. In 1982, they released Twin Barrels Burning awesome album cover with this artwork of this badass car it's very cool um it's released to some fanfare in the uk but 
barely any notice at all in the United States. They have previously been pretty consistent with at least charting in the top 200 in the U.S. with all their 70s albums, but this one wouldn't continue that trend because it doesn't chart at all. And although they hit number 22 in the U.K., it would be their last album to do so ever. I really recommend this album because... While most of their contemporaries at the time, they're finding their own popularity slipping. What they're doing is they're changing their sound to try to fit with the times, not Wishbone Ash. They totally stick to their guns, and they stick to their own true hard rock sound. Wishbone Ash would go on to release 12 more albums to date, starting with the follow-up to Twin Barrels Burning, uh, 1985's Raw to the Bone, all the way up to 2014's Blue Horizon. Wishbone Ash still alive and well today, so if you see him no coming to a town near you, get out there and pay your respects to some of the godfathers of hard rock, Wishbone Ash, and I'm sure you'll be come away from that show going, this is pretty great. I had no idea they still were doing it. They've been putting out albums this whole time. They never stopped. That's what I'm saying. You know, Wishbone Ash, not, you don't think of them on the level of like Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Kiss, Sabbath, you know, some of those bands, but just popular enough to keep themselves sustained nonstop all these years. And that says something, you know, that, Mm -hmm. and especially the fact, like I say, in 82, when all these other bands are like, oh man, you know, we got to add keyboards, you know, we, and we got to have, you know, the, the robotic drums, you know, we got to do all these things to, to go with the changing times. The eighties are here, you know, not wishbone ash, man. They just, they keep doing what they do. And I think the fans appreciate them for it and stick with them. That's pretty cool. I'll have to check out more of that stuff. I say, in 1982, in August, Y&T puts out Black Tiger, which is their, yeah. their fourth album released through A&M Records, who had no idea how to market metal. But anyway, it's another story. Uh, recorded at Ridge Farm in Dorking County of Surrey, England, produced by Max Norman. This is the first album that the classic Y&T logo makes its appearance on the cover, and it's a great cover. And uh, this uh, is part of what many Y&T fans consider the ultimate trilogy of Y&T albums. Yeah. Black Tiger... Mean Streak and Earthshaker. It's a great album and uh, features some amazing songs, including Forever.
Dave Menachetti, Joey Owls, Phil Kennemore, and Leonard Hayes. Uh, four great musicians, and only one of which is still with us. It's been a rough past year for, for YNT. They, uh, yeah, they sure lost has. Leonard Hayes a few months ago, and then uh, Joey Alves just died a few weeks ago. That's right. Just really, really sad, but... Uh, you know, music lives on. That's why these albums are fun to go back and revisit because you get to listen to those guys. That's out right. They, and as long as as long as you've got the Decibel Geek podcast, we're always going to be talking about and playing Y and T no matter what. So it looks like it uh, lives on. Looks like we may be doing a Y and T albums unleashed with uh, with somebody pretty soon. That's right. That is right. So you guys. I know there's been a lot of Y and T fans that have were Y and T fans before we ever met, but. There, I know there's a lot of our friends here listening to the show that became Y&T oh, yeah. fans along along with me. I know you were a fan all along, but I've, I've become a fan I of like Y&T. I like them. I've become a much bigger fan. Yeah, since same here. Show. So, yeah. you know, it's cool that we're getting to do this. And like Chris said, something special coming up yes. in the near future. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Y&T fans are going to dig it for sure. Donk is definitely going to dig it. Yeah, he he's definitely, uh, and he's partially responsible for my fandom now, too. Yeah, mine, to too. that. Okay. All right, that brings us up to September. What do you got next? Okay, so in September of 1982, Girl puts out the Wasted Youth album. And if you don't know who Girl is, they were formed in 1979 by vocalist Phil Lewis, guitarist Jerry Laffey, and Phil Collin, and drummer Dave Gaynor, and bassist Mark McGarry. Some of those names you recognize. You probably should. Uh, they were signed by Jet Records, released two singles prior to their debut album, Sheer Greed. Sheer Greed's a great album. You should pick that one up. Reached number 33 in the UK albums chart. The band's profile was raised by tours with the Pat Travers Band and UFO in the midst of the new wave of British heavy metal explosion. Girl recorded a pre-LA Guns version of the song Hollywood Tease, which peaked at number 50 in the UK single chart in April 1980. So there was a there was an LA Guns song that was on the chart in the UK in 1980. Isn't that weird? Wild? Yeah. And in 1982, they released Wasted Youth, which reached 92 on the UK charts. After the release of this album, Phil Collin would leave to join a band called Def Leppard. That's right. And then the Phil group... Phil Lewis would end up in L.A. Guns. That's right. And the, the band just basically imploded after Phil Collin left the band. Wow. But, uh, you know, the Girl was one of those bands where if they'd come out a couple of years earlier, they would have hopped on some of that power pop pop rock train that the sweet, right. you know, kind of helped, you know, set up. But the new wave of British heavy metal was sort of steamrolling everything else at the time. Didn't mm. fit with the new wave well, of British heavy metal. Well, there's uh, when Kiss you did see Maiden and Girl, you know. Well, yeah. Well, when Kiss did their Unmasked tour in 1980 of of England, they played Wembley Arena, and it was Kiss headlining, Iron Maiden opening, 
and then Girl opening for them. Yeah. So you had all three bands on the bill. And uh, one of these is not like the other. Well, and girl and girl got booed pretty heavily by Kiss fans because they played their cover of "Do You Love Me," which is on the Sheer Greed album. Oh wow! And you can actually Kiss fans didn't like they that. They did not like it. And you How can dare you? You can see a video for with a very young Phil Lewis. So they cut an MTV video for that song that's on YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah. And Phil Lewis, that Phil Lewis looks like he's a kid. Wow, I guess because he was. And he pretty much was, but yeah. All right, talking about the music scene in 1982, you know, we've been saying it all along. It was the new wave of British heavy metal that was ruling the world of rock. And by comparison to it, there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot going on here in the United States. Besides, like I said, mostly the old 70s bands desperately trying to hold on to their former glory. But then there was Twisted Sister. Believe it or not, Twisted Sister has already been around for 10 years by the time they released their debut album, Under the Blade, in 1982, produced by former UFO, future former Fastway bassist, Pete Way. Uh, Twisted Sister, you know, they're so different from anything going on at the time, and they borrow a little bit from Alice Cooper, a little bit from Kiss, both musically and in style. And they don't need an Iron Eddie, a Hellion, or a a bomb a nog on their album cover to scare the shit out of people just show a picture of the band that'll scare the shit out of them enough goes to number 125 in the u.s um 70 in the uk where they're a little more popular because they got a break by being asked to open for motorhead when motorhead says these guys are all right they're all right you can take that as gold some would write them off as a gimmick band but twisted sister is one of the greatest hard rock heavy metal bands of all time and under the blade is a stellar debut album Television, Burger Time, this year's hot new game. You are Peter Pepper. You're out to build delicious hamburgers. Nothing can stop you except menacing hot dogs or pickles. Bury them under beef patties. Knock them out with a shake of pepper. How many burgers can you build before you end up with egg on your face? Burger Time. All your friends will want to be the best Peter Pepper on the block. Get it now. Only for Intellivision from Mattel Electronics. Nobody has to tell me to get on the stick. With the wide stick, I don't waste time or money. See, speed stick deodorant is so much wider than the other leading stick. Gives you effective protection in just a few strokes. And if you've been using an aerosol, look. 
you'd use up two three-ounce sprays and start a third before you'd use up one two-and-a-half-ounce speed stick. So get on the stick. Makes sense. The Wide Stick Speed Stick Deodorant. By minute. I bet that pizza tastes good. Showbiz Pizza Place with over 60 electronic games. Pizza baked fresh every day. And a stage show extravaganza on three stages. So come for the pizza. Stay for the fun. Right, before we get back into the rockin' world of 1982, right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast, I want to let you know that there is even more cool stuff available this week over at HK Collectibles, Inc., including some awesome 1982 concert tickets, talking about The Who in Chicago, Sabbath in Detroit, and Ozzy in Seattle. Were you at these shows? Maybe you were. Maybe you know somebody that was. Maybe you know a huge fan of one of these bands that would love to have something like that in a frame hanging on their wall. It can be yours. It can be theirs. You can be a hero for getting it to them. All you got to do is head on over to decibelgeek.com right now. Click on that HK Collectibles Inc. banner right there at the top of the page and do your shopping. Because, of course, you're probably already at decibelgeek.com. And why wouldn't you be? Because all the world's top... Top rock and roll journalists are right there at decibelgeek.com. They're out there going to concerts in places that you've never heard of, let alone would ever find yourself in. You can't be at a show in Copenhagen. You can't be at a show in Tokyo. You might not be able to be in a show in Seattle, but we've got writers all <laughs> over the, the world. We've got the Meister who's probably going to every one of he's, them. He's at every one. <laughs> he's found a way to be at every one of them at once and write three reviews at the same time, and they're all going to come back. The Meister and everybody else we got helping us out at decibelgeek.com check out their articles these guys are awesome i mean seriously they're taking the time to go to these shows to listen to these albums to review things to let us know ahead of time about new music coming out to keep us up to date on the newest news about these new bands you know and old bands it's all together at decibelgeek.com Give these writers their love and respect because they deserve it. When you see on the Facebook page that there's a new article out, share it with your friends. Share it with those bands. You know, Make sure the word gets out because these guys are top-notch and they deserve the recognition that goes along with being an awesome Decibel Geek journalist, which each and every one of them are. You're going to find all that at DecibelGeek.com. Need a Decibel Geek t-shirt? There's only one place to do it. Go to DecibelGeek.com. Well, there's two because once you click that link, it'll take you right where you can get your t-shirts. <laughs> So it all works out that way. Um, it's just the place to be, decibelgeek.com. That's where everything is at. And one very important thing that's also there, right up there at the top of the page, right next to that HK Collectibles Inc. banner, is our own Amazon banner, the Decibel Geek Amazon banner. It's so important to you. It's so important to us. All you got to do is click on that bad boy whenever you're doing any shopping on Amazon. What it'll do is take you to Amazon as if you didn't even 
do anything different. So now you're at Amazon. Everything looks the same. You're doing all your shopping. You pay the price you intend to pay, not a penny more. And when Amazon takes their cut, they kick a little over to Decibel Geek out of their money, not out of yours. You don't pay anything extra. So now what you've done is you've done your awesome shopping. You found those cool things on Amazon that you just can't find anywhere around your home, any of the stores around your house, all the unique things you can get. You've done that. You helped us. It's beautiful. Now, let's take a look at that list. Yeah, we get an interesting list of everything you buy. And uh, our friend, the Rockin' Donkey, told me that he purposely bought something strange to see if we can figure out what it was. Oh, no. He's answered the Chris Sinzak filthy pervert challenge. No, there's nothing... I don't want to know. Well, some of this could be construed. Well, we'll find out. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. I want to see if you can figure out what the oddball thing is. Because there were some interesting things bought. Nothing directly perverted. Okay. Some things could be used for something else, though. Um, so nothing donkey sized. No, but make your you'll make your prediction as I go. Okay. All right. So Dell a Dell thirty inch LCD monitor was bought. That's With cool. Preloaded pornography. Uh, That's well. it. No. An OtterBox case for iPhone seven. With a naked lady on the back of it. No. Okay. Uh, this is my pick for what it is. Soft rubber Tyrannosaurus Rex and Great White Shark hand puppets. Hand puppets. Yeah. Soft rubber hand puppets. We're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) That's my pick. Um, There was a a book. Listen to this book title. Okay. The book is called Differentiated Instruction, Making It Work, A Practical Guide to Planning, Managing, and Implementing Differentiated Instruction to Meet the Needs of All Learners. I can't even read the title, let alone the book. It rolls off the tongue. Wow. Uh, That's what you should have named your band. Yeah. Uh, another book bought chicken soup for the soul. I can't believe my cat did that. 101 stories about the crazy antics of our feline friends. Okay. All right. That's another candidate. Uh, that is kind of weird. Digital fish scale tape measure and fish lip gripper was bought. Okay. Somebody's doing some fishing. Yeah. That's good. Uh, 40 hockey hall of fame and superstar cars cards collection. That's cool. And some Funko Marvel, Captain America, three civil war action figures were bought. Huh? So let's get into the music that was bought. Okay, I like the music. I'm, I'm guessing it's the hand puppets. I think it's the hand puppets. Donk, you tell us. Filthy uh, pervert. Uh, in digital music, Wasp Inside the Electric Circus was bought. That's a must-have. That's it one is. of my all-time favorite, not just Wasp albums, but all-time favorite albums, period. Striper to Hell with the Devil was purchased. That's another must-have right there, too. And in physical music, now here, this could, this could it's a little funny, too. Somebody bought Flashdance, the original soundtrack from the motion picture, Irene Cara's What a Feeling album, and Fame, the original soundtrack from the motion picture. Well, obviously that's it right there. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Where the host of Pods and Sods have been buying stuff through our lane. Uh, Dan Baird and Homemade Sin, Roller Coaster was bought. Dan Baird keeps coming up week after week yes. now. Uh, Cheap Trick, In Color, Dream Police, and At Budokan, the complete concert was bought. Nice. And finishing up this week, David Lee Roth, DLR Band That's bought. a really underrated album it really is. i like that a lot absolutely so that's your amazon purchases awesome we appreciate everybody that does their shopping through amazon through our decibel geek link keep it up it helps us keep the lights on makes life easier for us and it uh buys us the beers we need to get through doing all this homework yeah when we're doing homework and then having to read about hand puppets i mean we're all confused now yeah 
All right, we're into October now. All right, uh, let's see. October 1st, Walt Disney World down in Florida. They open up the Epcot Center. I remember that being a really big deal. Yep. All the kids my age, they all wanted to go to it. Nobody had no idea what it was, just this big, cool-looking metal ball. But yep. we all wanted to go there. I got to go there two years after it opened. Did you? Yep, I've never got to go. 1984, my only time ever to Disney World. Yeah? It was pretty cool, yeah. Now the, I know, it, was a, it was a huge deal when it opened. Yeah, it was... It, Epcot was cool, but it, Epcot was more fun, for, I think, for adults than it was for kids, though. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the park more. The kid parents just stuff you in that big metal ball and then go do what they want? The big metal ball was kind of a letdown. Like, yeah. it, there was a, it's a, it's a roller coaster, but it's a slow speed roller coaster where it's like educational. Like, you're going up a hill. Educational like, roller coaster. Super slow, and they're showing videos and, and stuff. So it's kind of, it was kind of dull. That should have been a tagline for this show 1982 year in review. It's an educational roller coaster. At slow speed. At slow speed. Until <laughs> we get to your next pick. We're the Epcot Center of, of podcast. Time to speed it up. Yeah. All right. So Except released an album in 1982. They put out Restless and Wild, their fourth yeah. studio album. Released in continental Europe in 1982, the U.S. in 83. I figure we have some European listeners, so it counts. Uh, this is the first Except album in which Udo Dirk Schneider sings every track, as well as the first in which manager Gabby Hawk, known as Deffy, also known as Wolf Hoffman's wife, gains credit for songwriting. A uh, guy named Michael Wagner took engineering and mixing duties on. Awesome. And uh, it's best known for its opening track, Fast as a Shark, which is considered among the fastest speed metal songs of its time. Cannibal Corpse has made a cover of the song Demon's Night. It can be found on their EP Worm Infested. Lovely. While those songs are great, I have a preference for Get Ready. And what you heard off of that was from the uh, the deluxe reissues that just came out through, uh, I think it was AFM Records sent those to us, and uh, they sound great. Um, and also, Except have been in the studio on and on, over the, off and on for the last year, and a new album is expected for release in 2017. Good deal. I'm ready for some new Except. We just got that new live album, which mm-hmm. is awesome, and I'm ready for the next studio album. I'm excited for it. Definitely, me too. All right, here's another one for you. The Plasmatics. Oh, yeah. They were formed by visual artist and band manager Rod Swenson and Wendy O. Williams back in 1977. The band featured Wendy along with a revolving cast of musicians, including at one time the awesome Jean Beauvoir. Yeah. The Plasmatics earned reputation for their shocking live concert experience, but a band so close to the edge of what many at the time considered to be obscene had a hard time getting any mainstream success. 
all the street cred in the world just doesn't pay the bills. They take their outrageous show on the road and sell out venues and cause disruptions everywhere they go. Three albums, several arrests, and countless exploded cars later, a copy of their album Beyond the Valley of 1984, which came out in 1981, found its way into the hands of Dan Hartman. There's your second Vinnie Vincent reference of the show. He found the music to be unique, refreshing, and groundbreaking, so he produces the demos that get the Plasmatics signed to Capitol Records. From there, it's off to Cologne, Germany to record with Dieter Dierks, who just finished working with the Scorpions on Blackout. The result is 1982's Coup d'etat. herself vocally so much during the recording of this album that she had to undergo daily treatments so she wouldn't blow out her vocal cords permanently. Damn. That's badass. This band evolved from punk into more of a metal band and was one of the first to successfully blend these styles of music. Although they'd gained a shit ton of notoriety worldwide, it didn't translate into album sales and Capital would drop them soon after the release. However, they did pick up a pretty sweet gig opening for Kiss. Or is it 1982? I had no idea about the Dan Hartman connection. Yeah. So that's even another Kiss connection to, to her. That's right. Pretty amazing. All right. Well, speaking of Kiss, in, uh, on October 13th, 1982, they put out an album called Creatures of the Night. Now, a lot of people, uh, a lot of the general public in 1982 probably didn't give a damn about Creatures of the Night. Just like Aerosmith and Foghat yep. and Status Quo and all these bands, Kiss is right in there with the, yep. the the monster bands of the 70s that are really holding on by the skin of their teeth, yep. you know, trying to, to stay alive in 1982. Well, a disco album, a new wave album, and a prog rock album probably didn't help matters no. leading up to it. Um, but it's uh, produced by Michael James Jackson, excellently. One of yes. the best produced Kiss albums ever. Most definitely, especially if you're a drumming fan. That's right. Eric Carr's drums are explosive on this oh, record. I love the drums on Creatures of the Night. And uh, it's it's one album that's always a go-to for me. Like I will never, ever tire of listening to this record. Agreed. I, yeah. And I've, I've, I remember I've gone through periods where I've listened to it multiple times in the same day and just love it. Yeah. Um, 
of course, you know, there's a whole cast of people that play on this album because Kiss was trying to work out the guitar playing. I always uh, remember position. just being confused about that when I was younger. It's like, well, because the first album that I got of Creatures of the Night was with the cover with Bruce on it. Oh, God. That's with even them standing more confusing. On, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I thought that and i didn't even know because i was too young into my fandom of all this to even really know who bruce Kulick was right and his name's not on there i don't think this is ace right you know but then you get to see pictures and magazines of the original cover and you say okay so ace did play on this but he didn't but it doesn't <laughs> sound like ace fraley playing right. on this i remember that being young and being able to pick out ace fraley from other guitar players because right. ace got that tone and that that yeah, style absolutely. of his own and you can listen to Creatures of the Night, and as awesome as it is, there's no way that's Ace Fraley playing that. I think I've heard some people say, they're like, wow, Ace has really been practicing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, there's no knocking. I'm just saying there were right. there were people that were more technically sound sure. players that played on this. Not just Vinny, but Robin Ford, who's like an amazing jazz guitar player. He plays on I Still Love You. Yeah. Um, Adam Mitchell plays on uh, Creatures of the Night, he helped write the song. That's right. And then uh, Steve Ferris plays the solo on, and Steve Ferris was in Mr. Mister. He plays the solo on Creatures of the Night. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and this was like a whole cast of people. And then uh, Jimmy Haslip, who was in Blackjack with Bruce, yeah. and also played in a band called the Yellow Jackets, which is like a technical band. He's playing Gene's bass parts on half the record, at least. Wow. Bob Kulik plays on some songs on this album. Really? But, well, he played demos for some, but I don't know that they ended up using anything. But there's no telling. No. Do they pick bits and pieces of this and that? Who knows? But one there, song... There may be even be like a small fraction of Ace Frehley playing on this. Maybe. But one song that, that on here that I that I love the showcase of Eric Carr's talents is Saint and Center. That song is not is you'd never confuse that song with Love 'em Leave 'em or Mr. Speed or anything like that. No. But I think it shows true mu musical maturity for the band, especially with Gene because it's even the lyrics are, are a lot more thought provoking than of course the burn bitch burn lyrics and stuff that would come <laughs> later. But you know, Eric's drumming on that song is great and also I'm 99% sure it's Vinny on the solo because it's got that slide guitar solo on it. Yeah. And Vinny was raised in a house by uh, 
parents that were bluegrass musicians. His father was an excellent uh, lap steel guitar player. and So he knew the slide. He, he knew how to do all that stuff. So, I mean, it almost sounds like a lap steel solo on it. And you'll yeah. never hear a, a, another solo in the Kiss catalog that sounds anything like that. No, I guess you're right. I never really thought about that. But yeah, you're totally right. But it's just in the chords on the song, the way the song ends. It's just, I think it's one of the best Kiss songs in the whole catalog. And it's a shame because it's such a great album. But at the time, it just didn't get its due. Oh, it just got ignored. And Kiss is pretty much being ignored at this point oh, as definitely. well. definitely. Yeah. Which is terrible because, I mean, talk about a comeback album. That oh, yeah. should have been the comeback album. It definitely should have. And had it been the comeback album they expected it to be, I think it would have been a lot further out before they took the makeup off if they ended up taking it off at all yeah if it i think if it had been a big hit they wouldn't have made a drastic decision to drop yeah. the makeup sure it's interesting times for all these bands definitely you know? is talk about kiss aerosmith bands like that bands that were on top of the world and then in 82 they're struggling well here's another one and you you know what i mean when i'm saying it because here's a band that in 82, they're coming out with their 11th studio album. I'm talking about British hard rockers, Fog Hat. Although they were officially adopted by the U.S. after the U.K. neglected them in the 70s. Mm -hmm. You guys didn't take care of your Fog Hat, and we had to take care of them for you. Even after years of success in America, by the 80s, Fog Hat is taking a fast ride back on down and they are a shell of their former awesome selves in 82 they release in the mood for something rude that's an awesome album title mm -hmm. um it's a weird album none of the songs on the album were written by any members of the band the whole thing's written by outside writers all outside writers and wow. a couple of cover songs in there as well it goes to 162 in the U.S., by far their lowest charting album in the States. None even close. I mean, this is a major drop-off. Mm. Even though nobody's buying Foghat albums in 1982, there are some real gems on this album. <laughs> cover man a super hot wild woman trying to put her mouth on the tip of the fog hat logo i see Ow. what you did there <laughs> <laughs> they're taking a fast ride back down nice fog hat 1982 fog hat fog hat 82 nobody cared so who wrote that one i don't know <laughs> not fog hat <laughs> i guess if, if you're gonna have an album bomb it's good that, that the one that bombed is the one with all the co-writers on. i it. just don't think they had their shit together it enough like to, to write their own songs at that time and said all right let's pick some old songs that nobody's heard of before that we used yeah. to like when we were kids and rock them out and i think that's pretty much what this album is good old lonesome dave was in a rut 
Yeah, good stuff though. I mean, underrated band was Foghat, especially like you say, like Alice Cooper. You know, his mm-hmm. weird years. Yeah. Dude, this is weird years for a lot of these bands, but some of the material that's come out, Alice Cooper, Kiss, you know, even Aerosmith with the Jimmy Crespo stuff. Yeah. It's not good times for them financially. They're not successful. They're on their way down from the peak of the mountaintop of of success. But the material that they're creating is very unique, and some of it is really, really good. Some of these bands came out with their best stuff when nobody was looking. Lean years can produce good results. Yeah. Uh, So let's get through some births and deaths from 1982. Time to feel old. Uh, of course, some of the famous deaths from 82, we went over the first one, Randy Rhodes and John Belushi, of course. Yeah. Neil Bogart, you know, Kiss's record company owner for the longest time, he'd passed away. Right, lost him in 82. Another Cancer. another name that uh, Kiss fans should be pretty familiar with that really helped them out that died in 82 was Paul Lind. Yeah. Hollywood, the center square from Hollywood Squares. Yeah. Uh, Murray the K, the famous DJ. That's passed right. Passed away. This one I've been waiting for you to tell me about because I didn't look her up because you told me there was an interesting story and I didn't want to spoil it for myself, so I've been waiting to hear this. Well, it's kind of a tragic story, but uh, Dominique Dunn passed away. If you don't know the name, she was an American actress. She appeared in several films and TV series from 79 to 82, but was best known for portraying Dana Freeling, the oldest daughter in the 1982 horror film Poltergeist. Okay. All right. The, The brunette. Yeah, I didn't know she died. She did. And on October 30th of 82, she was strangled by her ex-boyfriend, John Thomas Sweeney, in the driveway of her West Hollywood home and went into a coma. Dang. Never regained consciousness and died five days later. In a controversial court case, Sweeney was convicted of voluntary manslaughter and Dunn's death and served three and a half years in prison. Three and a half years for strangling somebody to death? Three and a half years. So you strangle somebody famous... And you get the, how the, how, what? It's really fucked up. That is messed up. Yeah. That's like nowadays. Yep. She was 19 days away from her 23rd birthday. That is sad as hell. There was a, e, remember the E! True Hollywood story? Yeah. It used to come on the E! Channel. They did one, it was called the, the Poltergeist Curse. And like there was, oh. there's multiple like strange death occurrences from people that were in the Poltergeist movies. That's what you get for swimming around with dead bodies. Well, it's just, uh, yeah, it's that's the ghosts of the people you threw into the swimming pool. It's a pretty bizarre uh, series of movies and a series of events. Of course, Craig T. Nelson's still kicking. You know, he yeah. was the dad. But, right. um, but yeah, that I remember that story being in, in particular just like, God, you know, what a tragic way to die. And then, you know, at the hands of your own boyfriend. And then the fact that he gets three and a half years for that. That's insane. He was like a he was like a famous uh, chef in Hollywood, like he was a he owned a restaurant or something. Yeah, three and a half years that just doesn't make any sense though. I don't like that. That's fucked up. So um, now time to really feel old. Births people born in nineteen eighty two. Yeah, people born eighty two. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, yeah. Natalia Neidhart, yep. uh, Seth Rogen, Jessica Biel, mm-hmm. and Kelly Clarkson. Natalia Neidhart, you know from Jim the Anvil Neidhart's daughter. Remember the Anvil, don't you? I remember him. I didn't know his daughter. Yeah, his daughter's been wrestling for years. She's very famous. She's a wrestler. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't just pick some wrestler's daughter. Well, I was just like, God, <laughs> man, this is kind of creepy. 
I mean, the fact that I know Vinnie Vincent's twin daughter's names doesn't has nothing to do with well, it. Well, obviously, they weren't born in 82, or they'd be on your list here. It was around that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. Creep factor to the max. All right. Popular toys of 1982. And I remember every damn one of these. Yeah. The Light Bright. You have a Light yes, Bright? Yes, you damn right I had a Light Bright. Lincoln Logs. Invented in Wisconsin. Yep, I had those. Tape recorders. Everyone, of course. We all had a tape recorder. It was so cool to hear your voice played back. Yeah, my, I still got a tape somewhere. My mom, this is this is me in a nutshell and why I am the way I am. My mom's trying to get me to say my ABCs. Mm-hmm. She says, say your ABCs. And I say, Baba. <laughs> and she says, what? And I say, Baba. I remember this because we just heard it not too long ago. Yeah. And she's like, say your ABCs. And I said, no. She says, say your ABCs. And I say, Baba. And she says, say your ABCs. And I say, no. She's like, why won't you say your ABCs? Because I'm saying Baba. <laughs> and I'm just a little tiny kid, you know? <laughs> like barely able to talk. And that's her recording me when I'm just a tiny baby. That's awesome. So, yeah, tape recorders <sighs> were popular with kids. Ah, and- here's one I'll never forget. What's that? Masters of the Universe. Yep. I'll never forget that either. I was my aunt Pam was going to college and we were in a restaurant and this kid had a He-Man action figure and it was just like the whole world was like, What is that? Yep. I must have one. I had Castle Grey Skull. Yeah. And Beast Man and Skeletor and Stratos. And, and if you were real diehard, you had Castle Grey Skull and you had Snake Mountain. I had Snake the, Mountain. The microphone. The microphone yep. you can talk into and make your voice sound you know, like you're ta- reading your Vincent Price. We're talking about the Snake Mountain microphone and talking about tape recorders. We're still doing the same fucking thing just as adults. Right. Yeah. They When we were in 1982, they called it Snake Mountain. Now it's podcasting. I was going to say <laughs> right. is the new thing. Uh, also, tabletop arcade games like oh, Pac-Man yeah. and Frogger. Everybody yep. had those. Donkey Kong Jr. Yep. Yeah, of yep. course. The, I remember every damn one of those. We had neighbors that we didn't ever have them, but we had neighbors that had them, and parents would send us over to the neighbors, and we'd be so well-behaved because all we wanted to do, we'd sit there and stare at that game on the shelf until somebody say, you kids want to play that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Here you go. All right. Yep. Good yep. to go for hours. Yep. So we move into November of 1982. This was a crazy story from 1982. I don't know how many people remember this, but this was a big deal. The Chicago Tylenol murders. You know how nowadays when you get a, a pack of medicine from like the store, it's got the tamper-proof mm-hmm. packaging on the top and, the, and all that stuff? That started in 1982. People died from this. They put, they would take the, the pills, the gel caps, and take a syringe and insert I believe it was cyanide into them. Yeah. And people from around Chicago would unwittingly take these pills mm. thinking it was just Tylenol and, drop. and would die mm. like more than a couple. And they never caught the person that did it That's because great. they put all their focus on one crazy ass person and turned out they really had nothing to do with it, even though they were insane. Oh, really? But they focused all on one person, and then what they realized later on was, odds are it was happening somewhere throughout the chain of it being packaged or produced. Yeah, it was probably somebody at the distributor or something. Right, but they were worried that the big scare at that time was that somebody would go in, you know, buy a pack of of Tylenol, Uh take it home, fix it up, glue it back together, take it back in the store, set it back on the shelf. Mm. But in reality, they it even to this day... Still not so. You want to know the real story about all this? And I've, I've talked about this show before. There's a podcast called The Dollop. It's a great show. With Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds, mm-hmm. and they tell the story 
and uh, the episode's entitled Tylenol Man. I'm going to check and that it's, one out. And it's all about the crazy dude that they try to pin this on. Yeah. But it's it's a truly insane story, and those guys tell it amazingly. Well, and we like to pimp other podcasts. That's a good one. To, if you're yeah. into history, and, and it's a, it's a comedy-based podcast, and they make sar- sarcastic comments throughout the thing, but it's also, a, they're great at presenting the story. Right, yeah. It's it's hilarious and educational at Very the same much. time. I highly recommend The Dollop. It's one of my all-time favorite it's a, podcasts. It's a so. really good podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to listen to that for sure. Yeah, definitely check that out. It's a wild story. So uh, there was another band that, uh, well, they put out their last album in November of 1982. Yeah, it's been two years since John Bonham died and Led Zeppelin along with him. So it's a pretty big deal in 1982 when Led Zeppelin releases their final studio album, Coda, which is more accurately a collection of unused songs from their 12-year career. It's a really great closing to the life of an amazing band that influenced so many bands that we love. I get older I learn to appreciate Zeppelin more you know my my olders always talked about them with such reverence and respect when I was young and then I was just a snot-nosed punk and I'd be like yeah well they're no kiss (laughs) you know but everybody talked about Led Zeppelin like you know because when I was a kid it was Kiss and Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and Skid Row and Ozzy and bands like that and then you'd hear somebody older talking about Oh, Zeppelin was really so much better than everything that ever came before it and ever came after. And it'd make you hate Zeppelin. Yeah. You know, because Zeppelin fans were so damn pretentious about it. Like, you know, Pink Floyd fans, too. You know, like, like, these bands are so much better. And and I'm I'm so (laughs) much cooler than you for, you know, listening. So I'm more refined than you, Kiss fan. And so it really turned me off Mm -hmm. to Zeppelin for a long, long time. But like I said, as I get older, I learned to, you know, say... Yeah, these people are assholes, and they ruined something for me that I probably could have been enjoying a lot more. I'm on the down downhill slope of my Zeppelin fandom. Yeah. I, I I was the same way as you, like through high school, like yeah, whatever. They're old '70s dinosaurs, and you know I don't care. But then, as I got out of high school into college, and of course as my drug intake increased, I also started appreciating them more. I I wound up picking up a box set of CDs probably my freshman year of college and numerous hours spent getting loaded and just laying back and listening to Zeppelin. Yeah. That sort of, I went through like a whole renaissance of like probably a good year, year and a half where I loved everything about Led Zeppelin. Renaissance and Zeppelin. What yeah. two words that go great together. Oh, <laughs> when in Rome. But, uh, but it was, 
it was just perfect and and I loved them and uh but then I think I've burned myself out so much that it's like yeah. I, I rarely go back to the well anymore it's, especially cuz and radio's done a great job at burning everyone out on them right but here's the thing like coda i mean there's yeah, coda's pretty cool it's it's all, got all kinds of cool stuff on there and it's it's stuff that you won't hear every 10 minutes when you turn yeah. on your class, local classic rock well, that's station why you need so. a box set or something of theirs cuz it's just some of them deeper cuts yeah the singles will you'll get You'll just get sick of him in no time. Right. I don't need to hear Heartbreaker ever again. <laughs> no. Stairway to Heaven. Eesh. Although Stairway never gets old for some strange reason. I I yeah, will you're, never... You're I, kinda, but if that's I the, never turn that's it off. That's the way it is with all them songs, though. It's like, if you are... Oh no! You, I can't listen to "Fool it. in the Rain" or or "All My Love" anymore. I can't listen. Yeah, to yeah. But, but, but "Stairway," I will never turn off just because it's such a fucking masterpiece. That's true. That's and you want true. to hear how it builds and builds and builds and builds and then explodes. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's an amazing piece of work. Man, Zeppelin's awesome. They are. Well, uh, a landmark album came out in November of 1982, and anyone who was around then certainly remembers Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah, you know, but the thing is with Thriller is that, yeah, it comes out at the end of 82, but Michael Jackson mania doesn't really truly kick off till 83. Yeah, well. I mean, I mean that's when it really blows up. I guess Beat It hits right around January of 83 yeah. and then 83 and 84 83 was his year right it totally was, was I mean there was everywhere. nothing else no he was just it was just Michael Jackson a little bit of Madonna and Prince mixed in but yeah. other than that all Michael Jackson he was the, the biggest thing on the planet I remember when I was a little kid, like in the second grade, I got two Michael Jackson memories mm-hmm. because you got to remember when I was when I was seven years old, I was listening to Kiss. I don't know why or how, but they <laughs> allowed it, and I did it. I listened to Kiss, and I remember the for lunch we would go to the lunchroom, grab our lunch trays, and bring it back to the classroom and sit down. And the lady that would come in would let somebody play a record. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day I come in and somebody had a Chipmunks album, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's Thriller, yeah, and I had the Ace Frehley solo album. Wow! And we were the ones that wanted our albums played. And so. The teacher's looking at the albums going, okay, she's like, okay, cool. Michael Jackson, oh, yeah, Michael Jackson. And she looks at mine, and I'll never forget the look she gave me. Disdain. Yeah, yeah, total disdain. And I remember that was like the first time I really hated school because she wouldn't let (laughs) me. Yeah, she wouldn't play my album. And all the other kids were like, you know, the same thing. Like, we're little kids, so they're into Michael Jackson. We talked about it last week, yeah. like Duran Duran mm-hmm. and Culture Club and Madonna and things like that. And I was listening to Kiss when I was that little, you know, and, cool. and so weird and different mm-hmm. that none of my friends understood you know what I was talking about right. and so I like there's this guy and he's got these boots and he's got a tongue and he breathes fire and spits blood and you know why don't why can't you understand what I'm trying <laughs> to explain to you and then the other memory I have from being in second grade was my friend Charlie Perez uh-huh. could dance like Michael Jackson oh, really? he could do the and ball. the little girls just loved him yeah. and I remember being so jealous of Charlie <laughs> Perez because all the girls were madly in love with him because he could dance so were you at home trying to pull off the moves? No, Come man. On, I was it. at home listening to Love Gun. 
I tried to pull off the moves. I was terrible at it, though. I was trying to just show people, like, no, it's you, you bend back like this and you play the guitar and you lean right. way, way back and then smoke yeah. comes out of it. And you guys just don't understand me. Uh, you beat me to the kiss thing. I was all about Michael Jackson in 83. They put that shit in front of me when I was like three or four years old. You know, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> what would you expect a little kid to do? You, you just like, got a good what? head start on the rest of us, man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, well, transitioning is a perfect segue to something as equally as big as Michael Jackson, the head pins. I was going to say, this is something I've never even heard of oh. before. The head pins were a Canadian rock group formed in the late 70s by Ab Bryan and Brian McLeod. Their 1982 album, Turn It Loud, was released through Solid Gold Records, and it quickly went platinum and topped the charts for six weeks in Canada. Oh, wow. Riding on that success, they landed some opening slots for Kiss on the Creatures of the Night tour. Right Especially on. in the, Can Can the Canadian dates. And I think you can tell by the sound of the title track that they fit right in. Their second release, Line of Fire, was another multi-platinum success, resulting in the band touring Europe with Whitesnake at the beginning of 1984. Singer Darby Mills received much attention and won accolades, with fan polls voting her the best singer. In 1985, Headpins toured with many acts such as Kiss Again, Eddie Money, and ZZ Top. The band was in the middle of recording their third album, Head Over Heels, when Solid Gold Records went bankrupt. Bummer. And they were a part of ZZ Top's Afterburner tour and were slated to go down the eastern seaboard of the U.S. with the band. ZZ Top didn't like the attention that the opening act was getting, and the headpins were told to not do an encore. As it turns out, McLeod decided not to listen, and they were removed from the bill. Wow. They're still around today with Ab and Bernie touring with a new singer after Darby Mills left for a solo career, but... Uh, Headpins, it's a, it's one of those hidden gems from that era. You know, I'll check some of that out. I don't know nothing about the headpins. Pretty good little hard rock from Canada. That's cool. I like that. Yep. You know, and we do this every time. Every time we do one of these year in review shows, we always get to this point towards the end where you say, hey, you know, we've been playing a lot of really great music for you today. And, of course, we hope you always support these bands and artists by going, you know, out through... Go, go to Amazon through our link and pick up the albums by these artists, you know, because some of them are still out there. Some of them, maybe not, but they all created something magical in 1982. Mm -hmm. And if we can enjoy it today like we can, because we can easily go to Amazon and get any one of these albums that we want, yep. do it. You know, get out there and support these bands and artists, because if we don't, who will? And, you know, it could be 1982 all over again, because it wasn't all awesome rock and roll. Let me tell you about some of the top songs of 1982. How about Physical by Olivia Newton-John? I like the video. Yeah, the video is pretty cool. <laughs> but the song, 
I don't know. How about I can't go for that? No can do. No can do. Daryl Hall I like and John Oates. Yeah. <laughs> Centerfold by the Jay Guy, uh, Gow's Band. I like that one. I do too. I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Um, Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Oh, boy. <laughs> How about Don't You Want Me by the Human League? Oh, boy. Baby. Here's one, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. That's a good one. That is a good one. Popular in 1982 because Hulk Hogan used it as a theme song. Hmm. Okay, enough with the Hulk Hogan. Star of Rocky Three. No. Uh, Abracadabra by Stevie Miller Band. With Donald Trump's favorite line, I want to reach out and grab you. <laughs> and that's the end of our political discussion. Right, yeah. Here's, uh, <laughs> here's a reason why nobody our age really ever got into Chicago. 1982, <laughs> hard to say I'm sorry. I did, but I like ballads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then I'm sure you really loved Jack and Diane by I John did. Cougar. This top ten is actually up my alley. John the Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> uh, who can it be now? Men at Work. That one's okay. Yeah. Uh, up Where We Belong, all Joe right. Cocker and Jennifer Warrens. That's got to be one of your no. favorite songs of all time, right? That's, that's where the sappiness level Love goes lift beyond. Me up where go, I Belong. That goes beyond where, what I can deal with. Uh, Truly by Lionel Richie. That one too. No, thank you. Mickey by Tony Basil. Oh, boy. And uh, Maneater by Daryl Hall and John Oates. Those like guys that. were big in 82. Yeah, my parents loved Hall and Oates. Yeah, I'm pretty sure your parents loved all these songs. They probably did. Especially Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warrens. I don't know if they like that one. He's slow dancing to that shit. That was from uh, Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. It wasn't all hard rock and metal in 1982, but the stuff that was was pretty damn good. It was a good year. You got and, two uh, classes of bands, really, or three. You've got you've got the the American bands from the 70s that are still holding on, trying to stay alive. Nope. You got the new wave of British heavy metal, yeah. and you got Twisted Sister. Well, and you got the headbands in Canada. And you got Canadian stuff too, yeah. Yeah. So Some good mix of stuff. Yeah, good mix. Nineteen eighty two, I liked it. This has been one of my favorite years to review so far. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of good stuff. We gotta figure out what the next one's gonna be. Hopefully not for a while. <laughs> no, we'll take a little break. That's why there's long breaks in between these year and review shows. It's nice now we because cover. we can go, ah, all right, it's over. Let's sit back and relax for a minute and, and enjoy it, you know, all soak right. it all in. But uh, before we wrap things up and finish this up for today, and of course, we always thank everybody for checking out the show if you're new and everybody that's been with us since the very beginning. And uh, we will do another year in review oh, yeah. sometime before the end of this year, although we do Maybe have a, a pretty full plate right now. Yes, we do. And that's all because of the Rock and Pod Expo. Because mm-hmm. people have been getting in on the action. Yeah, we uh, we offered we started offering our perks last week. And... Um, Poof, they're gone. Well, one group of them are. Yeah. Well, like, well, which is funny. We offered the lower priced ones, which are some cool memorabilia and autograph stuff, and then a three month, you know, membership to the VIP. You know, is, you want, you don't even, which is care. all cool. Even if you don't care about the other stuff that comes in the package, you got to want that three month VIP it's, subscription. You're getting access to a whole bunch of bonus content. But because uh, there's a lot of stuff out there now, because think of this this doesn't mean you become a VIP tomorrow and then you get the next Chris and Aaron show or you get the no, next. You special get thing access released. to everything you get access to all the back episodes and, and we lot. just we just recently released episode 50 of the chris and aaron show so there's all kinds of stuff 
well worth more than 75 or 100 bucks or 200 bucks with the kiss book or whatever donation yeah. you're making so what we sold out of was the hundred dollar guest spots for the show we actually offered three and we wound up selling like five because i couldn't get to the website in time to take them down but i got a feeling after the rock and pot expo we could just like not do homework ever again and just open this up well, like every week, we we, we just might. got somebody new on the show, and they did all the homework for us. Well, <laughs> well we want to we want to get the we want to get the expo funded. So right. down the road, we we may open it back up for that. But we we've got this really these cool packages with the memorabilia and signed stuff and the VIP thing. We want to get that stuff sold, and yeah. I, I'm happy to send it out to somebody. And it's all one of each that's available. So you know, you get a Decibel Geek T-shirt, you get. One package has a Mark Slaughter autograph picture, and this is all stuff we acquired ourselves, so we right. know that they're legit signatures. Mark Slaughter autograph, uh, one's got a with a Ricky Rocket autograph in that package. Yeah, got the Megadeth pick in one Me- of them. Yeah, Megadeth, Dave Mustaine's pick, his actual pick. Uh, also, Rachel Bolin autograph fit photo from Skid yeah. Row. Uh, Bobby Rock autographs yeah. uh, from Vinnie Vincent Invasion. The Kiss Alive 2 songbook. The songbook, the yeah. The official from 77. And uh, also the the one that's by itself because it's so damn mega rare. It's this mega rare Kiss vintage Kiss photographs book that was pulled off the market after like a month after the auto the uh, author put it out and i'm just i'm offering it in, ex- in exchange as a gift for a donation right okay, to help Gene? us with the rock and pot expo <laughs> but yeah we want to help get this thing funded and even if you can't buy one of the packages guys just go to gofundme.com slash rock the letter in at pod expo and um just throw five bucks at it i mean it, it all will add up we're trying to reach our goal and uh, we're close to halfway there which means we got a halfway to go so. right which is pretty awesome but like you say we still got a halfway to go and you know we're really really grateful to everybody that's you know contributed to this so far yeah. no matter what show you're contributing through because i know the rock and metal combat podcast mm-hmm. guys their their oh, friends great. and fans are rallying up behind them and uh rock and or roll and the kiss room mm-hmm. and zilch and, and pods and sods and so many of these different podcasts are involved in this are all getting their listeners to pitch in and we're really proud of ours because you guys have really stepped it up and we're really looking forward to bringing you guys the episodes that we do with the people that have donated for the hundred dollar experience of coming on decibel geek and chris has already run past some of the ideas that they have they're great and they're great they're really things that you guys are gonna like totally gonna like it like these are ones be like wow if this guy went to thought of that that would have been a great one for us to do it, anyway yeah it's all stuff that we would have been happy to present on our own right so it's or even more even really better. cool and we might not have thought of that's it. true so either way it's going to work out to everybody's yep. benefit the people going to the rock and pod expo mm-hmm. the people that want to see the rock and pod expo be a success so that maybe it comes to your town next year or somewhere down the line and the people that just want to help us out and yeah. we appreciate everybody no Absolutely. matter what you're doing whether it's five bucks whether it's 200 bucks to get yourself a vip subscription and the kiss book or whatever you want to do, you yeah. know, just just let us know. We're we're here to work with you. And the quick dirty details: it's at Music Valley Event Center on Saturday, August twenty sixth, here Man, in Nashville, I'm Tennessee. To it. And guys, we got twenty four different podcasts from all over North America coming to this thing. Got special guests that we've already announced some, and got plenty yeah. more coming. Michael Wagner's going to be there. Uh, Eric Brittingham from Cinderella should be there. Toby Wright's going to be there. Awesome. Sandy Gennaro from Blackjack and Cindy Lauper's band. And yeah. uh, let's see who else is. I mean, there's so many people that we've already announced, and I'm working on a lot more. Some really cool ones that are going to be coming in. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's pretty soon. And I'm I'm about to announce the pre-party. I'm 
one more band to commit, and then we'll be announcing the pre-party lineup. Which that's going to be, gonna be awesome. Of one I've, of them's really great. I've already decided that I'm taking that whole Friday off. Oh, me too. So that I can get down and party decibel geek style with all our podcasting friends right here in nashville and all the listeners too if you guys can make it into town please do if you're planning a vacation somewhere in the south for this summer i mean and this is the cool thing about it because we're a few months out so you got plenty of an advance to be able to plan your your time off from work or your time on vacation whatever you got to do if you want to come into nashville you know spend a week here dedicate one of those days to come and hanging out with us yeah you know it's going to be so much fun Yep. We want to party with you. I was talking to Ian Wadley the other day, and I was like, we got to be careful on that Friday night. I was like, or else we're, it's going to be a room full of hungover people at the expo. Right. On Saturday. That's what I was thinking. You know, that's going to be such a great party, but I don't want to be in rough shape the next day at the actual expo. event. Yeah. yeah. have to rein it in just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll end up having a few beers there that day. So we will, but the, it'll be a lot of fun. So, uh, don't uh, forget the rock and roll music vendors with their albums, CDs, yes. memorabilia, stuff like that. We've got a whole bunch of people coming out for that to uh, put their collections on display and give you a chance to purchase it. So it's not just a chance to meet podcasters. It's not just a chance to meet you know famous people in rock music. It's also a chance to beef up your own music collections. That's right. So all around, it's going to be pretty dang great, and we want you to be a part of it. All right, let's put 1982 to bed. Okay, so we've covered it all except for one. And now it's time for some purple snake. Purple snake. Yes. That sounds like a condition. <laughs> it's a strange time for this band. They've been releasing albums since 1978 and have quickly become one of the most popular bands in Europe. But they were severely mismanaged and broke by the time they recorded the music for what would become their fifth studio album, Saints and Sinners. Financial problems doubled with the urgency of caring for an ill child caused Coverdale to temporarily disband White Snake. Guitarist Bernie Marsden would move on to bands like SOS and Alaska. You ever heard of either of them? Mm, SOS. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of Alaska. I want to check out some more of that. Uh, Mickey Moody would go on to do session work and even lay down some wicked awesome guitar for Sheena Easton. Nice. That's an easy payday. And uh, the rhythm section of Ian Pace and Neil Murray would go on to join the Gary Moore band. So by the time Coverdale's ready to reconvene and release the new album, he finds out that only one guy in the band actually waited on him, and that was good old John Lord. So Coverdale and Lord got to pretty much start from scratch. They hired guitarist Mel Galley, who was in Trapeze with Glenn Hughes, studio musician Colin Hodgkinson on bass, and the incomparable Cozy Powell on drums. Then they get Mickey Moody back, and the time is now right to release Saints and Sinners. But the band hitting the road after the release is way different than the band that actually plays on the album. Regardless of all that, it's a great one. Probably best known for the original version of Here I Go Again. Like a hobo. Yeah. I was hobo. born to walk alone. <laughs> That's funny. 
you can't call him a hobo here in the states because that's that doesn't sound cool. No. Drifter, man. Drifter's better. Got to be like a drifter walking alone. There's a lot of great music on this album, including songs like Dancing Girls, which I love. Uh, saw awesome song called Love and Affection. Young Blood is a great one on here, and the title track Saints and Sinners. This is gonna wrap up your 1982 year in review with some White Snake. Or Purple Snake, technically, <laughs> however you want to be. But uh, we thank you guys for joining us once again. We will be back next week with, like Chris said, to be determined. See you.